Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but struggling to find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Foundation Medicine is looking for an Associate Director of Design for their experienced design team in Boston, Massachusetts. 23andMe is looking for a head of design in Sunnyvale, California. And Carbon 5 is looking for a mid to senior level product designer in Santa Monica, California. If you're looking for remote work, check out these listings. OPS Group is looking for a dev and design superhero. MKG Design is looking for a digital slash print production designer. Turo is looking for a director of product design as well as a senior product designer. Development Seed is looking for both a cloud engineer and a junior cloud engineer. And Open is looking for a chief technology officer. Company, stop making excuses on your DNI efforts and post your job listing with us. For just $99, your listing will be on our job board for 30 days, and we'll spread the word for you about your job to our diverse audience of listeners. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more info on these positions. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, I want to talk about our sponsor for this episode, Facebook Design. To learn more about how the Facebook design community is designing for human needs at unprecedented scale, please visit facebook.design. Now let's get into this week's interview. I'm talking with Arthel Isom, art director and CEO of Day Art Stagio in Tokyo, Japan. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hello, my name is Arthel Isom. I'm the CEO and art director at Day Art Stagio. Now, before we get more into what you do and your background in the studio, because I'm super excited to delve into all of that. How are you holding up during this pandemic? Like, how has Tokyo been handling it overall? I think we're doing fairly well, actually, comparative to other countries. Japan has, of course, there's news and things, and so I usually try not to get too much into that. <laughs> but to me, it seems like, yeah, there's a few, you know, there have been a few rules set in place, and it seems like the government is doing everything they can to assist people uh, large crowds, things like that. Any kind of venues that draw large crowds have been kind of kibosh has, has been put on them. And like, so, which is cool, you know? And so the city is a little quiet. There's, there are no tourists or anything like that. But businesses, businesses are still moving, which I'm kind of actually, being a business owner, I'm actually happy about that, that they're trying to find a way to flatten the curve while still keeping the country moving. Like that's, and that's kind of what I felt the most so far being here is that, that even though there's this pandemic happening, like restaurants and venues have closed, theaters are closed, things like that. But yet, like businesses are still generally moving. And the government is actually being really helpful 
to people who ha who aren't working right now. Like there, there are a lot of subsidies being given out and grants and things like that. Yeah, so I wonder what that's like. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, like, it's so interesting because even for artists and to see where artists and a lot of artists are, are freelance artists and freelance don't have that nine to five. Yeah. So like, so the government's giving out like a, a general fund, like a thousand dollars to everybody. I mean, like literally everyone. So if you have a child or if you have four children, all four children also get a thousand dollars. It's mm. really interesting. And so then, and then besides that. Then they're giving out subsidies and things for work for workers and so it's like okay if you're a freelance artist and this has affected you like because now you don't have like four months of work coming in you like submit that and like then they they calculate how much money you would have made and something and then and based off of that there's like a allotted amount of money that they'll just kind of give you, you know? nice so, yeah yeah so it, it's it's efficient and how has the pandemic affected your just like day-to-day -day work with the studio so in our day to day, it's interesting. It has like two effects. Of course, you know we have to try to keep the staff like from out outside of the studio. We we do alternate work. People do come in, but like so so it's like half half the week people are at their houses working, and then the other half like we have people alternating. But our company has always been a digital, fully digital, and so we're already used to having people work from home and things because we're already using computers, so we and we we're already using the cloud, so that actually hasn't really affected us too much and if that is more if that could be classified as being negative i don't know like but the positive thing too is that it seems that this pandemic because it's stopped live action sets and things like that a lot of production has really been focused on animation in general and so we actually we've actually gotten way more business and a lot of work because of this and not to say thank you or anything like that but it's just you know that you know there's always like updates and uh, benefits to things so nice let's talk more about day art stagio now i'm curious because and we talked about this before recording like i feel like part of the name the day art part d apostrophe art it may be like a contraction of your name and your brother darnell's where does the stagio where does that come from yeah that's it's correct I and mean, the, the stagio comes from my work experience when i first got to japan so when I first moved here, I was a background painter, and in, as a background painter, like we learned, you know, we, we in Japan, like I learned all of the what is it, the, the techniques and the approach, the, the things like that in Japanese. So the the word staji means underpainting in Japanese, and so for a background artist, so we I used paper at the time. So like you know, when my senpai was explaining to me, oh, you know, you have to get the underpainting done first. You know, that's the most important to art, and so or to background painting. It's like it's because at that time everything was by watercolor. So if you didn't, if you messed up on the at, on the base of your painting, like you know, you you'd have to essentially start all over again, or like you know, you have to try to figure out how to adjust things. So that kind of impressed my mind that like the the, the fundamentals of like you know the, the base of your painting and the base of all our work in production in general is like the most important. And I like that. I like that. So I took that strategy and. In Japanese, the term for they have what we call like loan words, where they're words that don't that didn't originally exist in the Japanese language. Mm -hmm. They borrow them from other languages. So like studio didn't exist in Japanese, in Japanese and so they they would say uh, stagio. So I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. So I put a play on the two words. So I took staji and then I took stagio and I put the 
together in this like stagio. But and so the kanji, so it essentially just means like the like the fundamental studio essentially is like where our name and our motto is uh ga daiji, which means that the foundation is important. Nice. I know even when I watch anime, it's funny you mentioned that about the loan words and I don't know if it's because I'm just a dork that watches a lot of anime, but I'll pick up on like some of those loan words that you mentioned. I think maybe it's just a uh, particular kind of Romaji pronunciation where they'll yeah, say yeah. something and I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, I know what that is. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and English has those those yeah. same kinds of loan words like yeah. cartoon actually is a relevant to this interview. Cartoon is Italian. So like we yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. borrowed that from them. <laughs> Yeah, that's absolutely right. And so, yeah, like I think so all languages probably borrow from other languages, right? And so it's sufficient. Yeah. You know, instead of having to think of a whole new word, you could just, oh, okay, they've already thought of it. Let's, let's use it. <laughs> so I want to hear about the studio's origin story because starting any business is super tough for Black creatives, I think. And I think particularly if you're in a whole other country where you don't speak the language and you're not sort of of the dominant people there could probably make it even more challenging. So how did the studio actually begin? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because often a lot of foreigners here will say there's like this glass ceiling, right? Where it's like, you can only get but so far here, like doing. And because I think a lot of people come, you know, a lot of people travel to other countries with like these crazy dreams that you want to do something there. And, and then, yeah, no matter what, it's not, just because it's Japan, I think it's like no matter what foreign country you go to, like yeah, there's there are a lot of hurdles, right? Because mm-hmm. you're you have to deal with the culture and the language, and you know, and then also just with the competition, the the local. I'm not going to say competition because it's not really competition, but just the local workforce, right? There's people there already who are already doing the work, so why would they give you the work, right? <laughs> and so, like you know, so you have like all those kind of basic challenges. So I think. I don't know, like the, like my approach to just life in general is like I never considered the 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 basic challenges or the the understood challenges as being difficult because okay. that's understood, right? Like and so oh, like Japanese must be difficult, of course, right? Because that's a second language, so I, so I'm like okay, I have to learn this or like the schools, like yeah, the look where I went to college here and it was all in Japanese and you know the, their approach and everything was different. I was like, oh, okay, well, that's that's just something I have to do because that's that's what's required of me. So I would say that being like a foreigner here, like those things didn't necessarily affect me so much. Like, but 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 I don't know because perhaps that's just my personality because that that is the major. I'm not gonna say complaint, but that's the major conversation that I hear the most. Like when I'm hanging out with my friends or just like you know when foreigners are talking. The foreigners I hear are talking that yeah, it's the language is hard or like yeah, like no matter how hard I work, I can't get to somewhere. So maybe I'll focus more on that because I think that is something that something that is native to Japan. That um, because even the Japanese have that same complaint, and so where it's like because of the way the society is, or like you know, you work really really hard, you go work all day, but you essentially seem like you're not really moving up in position, and it, and because in Japan. They've always, I think the, the way the society here is, is that the longer you do something, like, like yeah, like you put in the time and then you get the promotion. So it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter how good you are. It just matters how long you were doing something. And, and it's interesting because that's not how it is like in other cultures. So I think in the West, it's more like, yeah, if you're crazy good, you can start off with like a really high salary and you can get to the next position, next position, like, you know, based just on your skills alone. Yeah. In Japan, it's not like that. It doesn't really matter how good you are. <laughs> like, it's like, 
you know, oh, did you put in the time or have you been here for four years or five years? And, and I think that can be discouraging because like when you first get here, especially if you're used to the West, like, and even me, like when I first got here, my mindset was like, oh, I want to, I want to start a company and I want to do this and I'm going to be a backup. And I'm like, like, and but then I realized, oh, like, because I guess just because I heard everyone else talking about it, I knew that, oh, that is the problem. So I, I guess I adjusted then. I was like, all right, I'm not going to, I already know I can't skip to the front of the line. So I might as well get in the back of the line and just work really hard to until I get up to the front of the line, you know? And so, but you know, so that, that's one of the, the issues that I find out here. The other things are the basic things, right? Like, yeah, I had to learn Japanese and that was tricky. I, I do, I count them as challenging. I don't know if I count them as like things that were setbacks or anything. There was just I had a lot of challenges when I got here with like, you know, but they were fun challenges. Like I had to learn the language. And like when I got to college out here, the textbooks were all in Japanese because they hadn't had foreigners in their school yet. I was like the first foreigner that was allowed to, to enter that arts college. And so all the classes oh. were Japanese. And, and that was difficult because the textbooks were all in Japanese and like, uh-huh. man, you know, looking up kanji, which is a different symbol, like, you know, in the English, if you don't know the word, but you know the alphabet, right? Because there's only 26 of them. So you can right. look for A or you look for B. But there is no <laughs> alphabet, right? There's just a whole bunch of shapes. So it's like you, you don't even know what shape to look for, right? And so, like, because they have, like, a system of, like, counting strokes. And then, mm-hmm. of course, just remembering the picture. So, you know, things like that, like trying to figure out, yeah, how do I get through these textbooks? And it would take me, like, man, just to do my homework and get through, like, one question would take, like, two hours because it took me two hours to translate every word in the question. And yeah. that was just to translate the question. And then, and then I, now that I translated the question, I still have to answer it, you know, and, and, and everything else. But there was those kind of challenges, the ones that are just to be expected, I guess. But yeah, sorry, I'm like rambling here. I hope I no, no, I, I think what, no, yeah, and what, I, what I'm sort of getting from this is that, and you said this before, like you really had to put in the work. It wasn't just like, you flew over to Japan and you're like, I'm going to start an animation studio. And then you made it happen. Like you had to put in the work. I mean, one, you said attending this college where you were the first foreigner to attend there, but then also learning the language, learning the kanji. Like it's more than just starting from like square one. You're like starting from basic, like how to hold the pencil almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that really was how it was out here. Like, you know, because of course, like, yeah, when I first got out of here, I was just a background painter, you know, and I, well, I was just a student, and then, and then I became a background painter, and then what, and it was always like, I'm um, starting over again, and that, that was an interesting experience, because, you know, I went to art college in the States, and I thought I was pretty good, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm already, I already know how to paint, but then when I was taking classes, I, like, reassessed myself, and then when I was working, I reassessed myself, you know, and it was just like, man, like, I have so much to learn, and then now, at being a studio owner, like, shoot, I have to reassess myself again. I have so much to learn, you know, to be like being a CEO is, is difficult. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Speaking of that, like, how did you build the team? Because I think it's one thing to, like, you've illustrated, you know, no pun intended, to get the studio even together, but now you have a crew behind you and you have people that are looking up to you. How did you make that happen? It's interesting because I had, I guess, a lot of kind of lucky things happen and it, like both like you know with henry and my brother and everyone we henry and i have already been in japan both i think henry about 10 years me like now going on 15 years and so just because we've been working in the industry for so long we have like a lot of connections that we made and, and friends and things like that and so when when i decided to start the company we're already like 
you know, our circle was already so big. And so we were able to kind of like draw from that circle of like just co- like, you know, employees and coworkers and people within our field. It was still a little challenge because I kind of at the at that time didn't want to take, of course, workers from the studios that I worked with or that I worked for because that's I, I don't know, I was just against that, you know. So so I we would mainly like my approach is mainly hiring artists who either worked and then they left their jobs on their own free will or they you know, and then of course students and things like that and people who who are really talented but Maybe they're not in the industry yet, but they wanted to be. And so I, w- I would look for like different areas to, to get employees from, you know. And then mm. as opposed to like, oh, hey, like, you know, I, like I, I didn't really do the headhunting thing. But that presented its own challenges, right? Like, you know, kind of like looking all around for different artists artists and things who could fill the positions that I needed and uh, or that's required for this, you know, for this field. And But, yeah, the ones, you know, as we were going – you build a relationship with the people that you're working with now. And you know, as we're working on projects and stuff together, of course there's like ups and downs, but I think that made our team stronger. You know, you bond and you figure out like, oh, okay, these people are here for the long haul, you know? And, and I guess I was kind of on urban, you know, to be able to get together everyone's respect and trust, you know, that this is something that we can do. And then, yeah, like, we're, like I guess we kind of got here and we're still going. And, you're you're making it sound very humble. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that that you necessarily like ran into a lot of difficulty, but you're like basically like found out people through our shared network, and we worked with them, and they trusted us, and here we are, which is good. I mean, I, I guess that's if that's how I went, that's how I went. You know, I went. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, with while I worked for Obert Cobol at the background studio, like I would always tell everyone what my goals were in the future, right? Like, oh, I want to start a company. I want to do this. And, and it's interesting because I always got support from my senpai. Like, they were always like, oh, like, it was weird. Like, they were always just like, oh, that's cool. Like, oh, okay, you're going to start a company. When you start your company, I want to work for you. And like, you know, yeah. although at that time, I was still just learning, right? And like, I was just rambling. I don't know if they were just kind of placating me or something. But, <laughs> but you know, we would talk about it. And then, and when I actually did decide to start, and even and then even with Obertasan, like I would, you know, we would have lunches and just he and I would talk and I'd tell him about my, you know, future plans here in Japan. And he would give me like advice and tips of how to move forward and like, you know, focus on this and you know, and keep building and going forward and you'll be able to achieve it, things like that. And I, I guess I really internalized the things that he taught me. So when I did start, I actually reached out to him first, like, Oh, okay, I'm thinking about starting a company now. And, you know, I got his blessing and then he gave some advice and I meet them regularly so a lot of my mentors out here are actually like the presidents of other of the animations different at various animation studios so like production IG and then over to Kobo and a few others you know from other studios and, and I guess I've just been lucky to meet them and I, I think they always say the best way to, to have a mentor is you find your mentors I forgot. Actually, I got this from someone, so I don't want to steal what she said. I, uh, I think it was Ava DuVernay who said it's on her master class. I watched her master class, so I should give her credit for it. I think she said that she doesn't believe in, like, oh, can you, like, asking someone directly, can you just be my mentor, and they're going to teach you everything, because she said that's very difficult. But you gather mentors naturally by the people that you've been working with for a long time and you've been developing relationships with, because now you, you work with them in your field. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I kind of actually... When she said that, I was like, oh, that makes sense because my mentors now who are the ones kind of helping me to decide what's best for the company and things like that are, you know, for, to help me 
through my decisions. There are the people that I knew that hired me at, like in the very beginning, you know, and then yeah, they just kind of saw my growth and things like that. So I think that's important, and then that was something I realized was important. Like while I was trying to start this company, it's like you know seeking advice, and you know of course there's like you, know, you have to kind of just go out and do things because everyone's journey is going to be different. So so no one can tell you like even me like I can't just say oh do this 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 and now there you go here's a company it it won't work like that but but you know but they were at least like, able to give me a few pitfalls to watch out for and things like that. And production IG and Ogura Kobo those are both studios you worked for when you kind of first got to Japan. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Mainly just worked for those two. Like, I, I'm kind of really, I, like, that was one of my favorite companies. And those are the only two companies I ever wanted to work for. So that, that was kind of where I worked for. But then okay. because I worked for them, I was able to work on lots of different productions from other companies because of where, because of the, because of the work that the two people did. Gotcha. So as I was doing my research, I saw some of the titles that you've worked on. And for listeners, they'll probably recognize some of these. You've worked on Bleach. You've worked on Detective Conan, Lupin the Third, Naruto Shippuden. I'm looking because we're doing video. Like I can see in the background that you have a poster for Teflon oh, yeah. Funk, which is how I first found out about your studio back in uh-uh. 2017 because I was backing it on uh, on Kickstarter. <laughs> what kind of projects are you working on now? So right now. We're working on a music video, a short movie, and assisting with a few TV series here, like two few Japanese series. I think One Piece, and we also worked on a feature film here in Japan, which uh, I think it's been announced. Given, and yeah, so that's kind of what we're working on right now. The music video should be out sh- shortly. It's for I can't say who it's for or anything yet. So, but it, so everyone just kind of you know keep your eyes peeled, I guess, or actually. It'll probably be out. Okay. Now, I know that you are, you know, working on projects that you get from, you know, external clients, but are there kind of internal studio projects that you have also? Yeah. So right now what we're doing is putting a few pitch books together and we're in talks with a few, uh, with actually Barry, I guess, like networks and and trying to see if we can, yeah, get, get some of our original ideas out. And we're, yeah, so we're trying to, I think we have some good prospects and like it seems like everyone really is like our ideas and things like that. So nice. Speaking of, you know, Teflon Funk, how did you first get involved with uh Stefan and the crew with them? Actually they reached out to Henry, I think. And then I'm not sure what we were working on and how they found out about us, but um somehow they did, I guess. And then that's when that was kinda of how that whole relationship came about. You know, we met them and we talked, and, um, and then we just felt like, okay, cool, let's try it to work together. And then we did their uh, teaser trailer. Okay. So, how do you approach new projects that come into the studio? Like, there's a, a client that's interested, they contact you, they not only have an idea, they've also got the budget. Like, that's important. How do you yeah, all yeah. sort of get started on new projects? Yes, right. So, the first thing that we do to make sure we can get started is we go through that kind of checklist. So kind of what you just said, right? Okay, do they have the, like, what's the idea? Is the concept sound? You know, is it something that, because we have an image and a kind of a, like, I guess an idea of what we want our work to look like and what we want our work to represent, both like not only by with story, but also just through the, 
through the medium itself, like through the the children drama that we've decided is so like 2D animation, for example. Like, so if, if it's 3D, would you be surprised? Even though we're a 2D studio, we did get like solicited for 3D work. So like, you know, so, but that doesn't fit our current pipeline or our current goals. So, you know, so as long as it fits what we're doing, so that's one of the criteria. And then yeah, sound, sound idea. And as you said, budget, like, yeah, does, does the budget fit our, you know, price point? And when those things are all checked off, then, then it's like, okay, cool. Now that we know what the project is, then we kind of go from there with, um, like, try to keep this as concise as possible. But, like, yeah. Feel free to, to be as unconcise as you want to. Like, oh, okay. yeah, get into the nuts and bolts expound, of it. Expound on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, well, yeah. So, you generally will have the idea. And then depending on the client, either pre-production will not have been done or it is done. But if it's not done, then they will start there. So it's like, okay, character design, world design, going over the script to make sure that the script doesn't have any holes or things like that. Then go, you know, decide what demographic is that, that the, this particular thing is going to be for. That's always the point of contention, which is really difficult. As you know, so I learned a lot with that actually. But once we decide that, what the look is going to the general look will be, then we start with production, move to storyboard, constantly going back and forth with the clients and to try to figure out uh, what it is that they want. And then, yeah, then we just start drawing and until we finish. <laughs> you know, and then, yeah, so that's kind of like a really fast, like one, two, three step of our production process. Yeah. And the, the reason that I wanted to, you know, to kind of go into that one, because for our listeners, they want to know about the process. But two, I think that, Sometimes there is a, and this, this is a similar thing to graphic design, web design, et cetera. Clients may just not know what that process looks like because they only see the end result. So they might think, oh, well, it's just simple. Like just get in there and draw something. And you're like, no, you have to sketch out the characters and the yeah. script. Like there's a process behind it. Very similar to how someone may contact me and say, you know, I need a logo, just like throw something together. Like, no, I need to yeah. like, talk with you about what you're trying to convey and like different colors and how is it going to be yeah. used? Because all of that feeds into making sure that the end result is exactly what you want and not just something you kind of just threw together, you know? That is actually, that's you brought up a whole lot of good points. And it's interesting because I think like, yeah, for graphic or just like visual arts in general, mm -hmm. I think people see their children drawing and they equate it to like, Oh, it must be easy. Like, Oh God. <laughs> And like, yeah, because like, like, that, that's the only—that's the only thing I could come up with with why do people think that? Oh, I made a change. Can you guys change that? Yeah, and they want us to <laughs> to make this change in like an hour or something. And I'm like, right. no, like, you know, the, yeah, like we are professionals and we are good at what we do, but that's still a big ask, you know. Yeah. And so I think trying to get the clients to so one one part of our process, which I guess I skipped, is is that like we try to get the clients to understand from the beginning what particularly how big of a process this is and how intensive each step is and you know like it's like once we move pretty much here like yeah if you have the budget like some clients have the budget right you can you can go back as many times as you want right like yeah. if you have a budget and also if you have the schedule but there's a lot of but most times clients don't have that freedom of the schedule but then they want to go back and you're like well you know yeah scope creep yeah yeah so that that's the difficult thing and i think that's what particularly to the end um, anime it's a totally different process than Western animation. Like there are more steps in, in Japanese animation. Oh. And, and so like, for example, 
with our character designs and color sheets. Like in Western countries, they have those same things, but we also have like our style sheets and color sheets. And I, I can never think of the words in, in English. You can say the Japanese, that's fine. Particularly, one thing that I'm starting to find now is particularly with uh, um, the Shikisai, um, so, and even, even with, which I think is like color sheets or something like that. So the Shikisai Sente, and with the Chuijiko. So the Chuijiko is how do you, or what, what are the points that we want for you to be very careful with, essentially, with, with the production? Like, so we mark it, we, we draw it out and mark these different things out. And then with, during the production process, we have, yeah, layout. And then after layout, there is kind of skipping around. So this is not the proper order, but I'm just, I'm only naming the, the parts that are different. Okay. But so with, with layout, layout is an American animation, or Western animation as well. But then for Japanese animation, we have like an animation director who actually checks that. And then they go over it and they send it back. And then we have what we call like knee ganga, which is uh, like, it's, it's actually the step prior to cleanup. So in, in Western animation, they go straight from layout to cleanup. And then sometimes in Western animation, they go straight from like layout to where they're, they're doing cleanup and in between at the same time. Mm-hmm. In Japanese animation, in between and cleanup is actually at the very end. So we have uh, this one in-between step, which is called Nigenga, which is it's cleanup, but it's not cleanup for final. It's like a, it's not final line. It's, it's cleanup to, to make sure that the characters and things are on model and everything looks and feels the way it's supposed to. And then once it gets past that, then, so there's like a lot more checks, I guess, in between. And then pretty much every step, there, there are different checks. And But because we have these different checks and things, when we're going through the process, we, like we have these checks internally. So when the clients ask us to kind of like take a step back or something or redo something, we've already like moved forward, right? Because it's like going to the next step. But when essentially, so if you say, okay, yeah, can you redraw this character? We're like, oh, but we're already here. So that means now we're going to redraw it, and it that and then it still has to go through those same like you know five or six checks again, you know. So mm-hmm. that that's, that's it. Sounds very meticulous. Yeah, Japanese anime is super meticulous, and I think that's probably why you know you get the look that you get on the screen, and which which is one of the reasons why I came out here, right? Like that was what draw drew me to coming to Japan and, and really wanting to work for um, Ogura-san. Nice. So what are the the best types of projects for you to work on? Like you said, of course, if the client comes to you and has the idea and the budget, but there was something that you mentioned earlier about making sure that the product, the, the project fits what the studio's sort of image is. So what is that image? Like what are those types of projects that really kind of exemplify Day Art Stagio? I think as we're getting older like we're not old i mean we're not that old yet like we're not we're not going we're not, we're not in our 50th anniversary yet but you know as, as every year passes we try to find our like who we are what is our image and i think we're always still on that path i think we're still on that journey to like totally figure out what is our image and thing but but we have an idea and you know we haven't totally been able to do everything yet right because you know when you first start you don't have the luxury of choosing what you want to work on. Yeah. Exactly, right? so we have to, you got to keep the lights on, right? Right, <laughs> so, right. So we, we just kind of like, okay, cool. We'll do this, we we'll do that, we we'll do that. Right? They're paying us. Okay, cool. But like, as, as we're, you know, we're, now we're in our fourth year and moving on towards our fifth, like we, we're finally at the stage where we can start choosing things and, and then, you know, trying to get it, get our image and things down. So I think that's your question. The things that we're looking to try to, is yeah like we, we love i think we're more of an adult oriented 
studio. So the, I mean, the work that we put out, we tend to always say no to ch- children's animation, at least children in the sense where it's like the Saturday morning cartoons children. It's not, I, I'm probably dating myself. I don't even know if people say Saturday morning cartoons anymore, but, but <laughs> like, like uh, but yeah, it's not that kind of a look, you know, and we definitely don't do the Western, like kind of, you know, puppet kind of sliding animation. So if that's, a, so we've actually turned down our project recently and it was like a really good budget and everything, but we, and, and everything was decided, you know, all the episodes, it was like a full series, but we just said no, because that wasn't what we're looking for. Like we're, we're more into a fluid, like, you know, actual animation as opposed to yeah. the puppet animation. Not that that's not animation, that's just a different version of what we're, than what we're doing. Yeah. And so that, but I think that more than anything is more important to us. Like we really are into just the technical aspect of drawing. So like if the work that we're required to do doesn't allow us to draw, then we tend to not want to do that. And then uh, probably this is more like what you're probably asking about, but like, yeah, like the, the type of stories that we're telling. So, you know, I think just because of the people who work at our series, work the way we grew up. So we're trying to tell stories that, that resonate with us like with our with who we are you know and and more real stories like stories that like that have like a more diverse culture to them that that are like and it doesn't mean that because i think some people get confused well particularly with you know with someone in articles and things that come out they think like oh we're just only going to be telling black stories and, that, and that's actually not our goal either because mm. i actually don't feel that that means that we're because i feel that that's actually the opposite of create of of being free to tell the type of stories that we want to tell. And so I think that, but what we are looking for is like, that being who we are, that we can tell stories that haven't been told before. The stories that people, you know, yeah, um, from different viewpoints from, you know, of course, like black characters, minorities, like women, and and more like, not in a stereotypical way, which is Mm -hmm. what I think I still kind of see actually a lot although there are like diverse characters, but it's interesting because even the stories that are told are still very stereotypical stories. And so like, you know, oh, it's this character, this, these are the, this is the type of story that these characters can be told in. And so we're not looking to do that. Like, I think what we're trying to do and hopefully get to is, you know, taking, taking like a black character, but he's in like this total, like, for example, I don't know, like sci-fi world or something or mystical world, but then, but, yeah. but, but having it feel real and having it so it doesn't feel like it's just a rehash of Dragon Ball Z, but just <laughs> a black character, right? Because that, that's so I think that's kind of what we're. I, I like. I mean, people like Dragon Ball Z. That, that I didn't mean to say that Dragon Ball Z, but the rehash, right? And so I think we're, that's what we're trying to do, and I think that's what our goal is. And so, and of course, just telling stories of voices that we haven't heard. So those are the things that attracted us to like Teflon Punk and EXO and and a few other stories that we're doing now, where it's like. Oh, okay, cool. Like this is a story. This is a voice that we haven't heard before, that no one's heard before. Let's let's try to tell that story. You know, then of course there are the other hurdles of trying to now get them picked up and things, which is that's a different story. But yeah, but those are the things that attract us. I'm so glad you you mentioned that because like I've had cartoonists and artists and other folks on the show before, and I've always asked them if they sort of feel this burden, I guess, to quote unquote represent in the work that they do. And I think, you know, anyone can see how like anime and Japanese stories in general have made just like a monumental influence on American pop culture since like 
the 70s, probably even before then. I mean, movies, television, of course, animation. You mentioned music, like hip hop and Dragon Ball Z is like peanut butter and chocolate. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. that goes together or or like that influences or I should say Dragon Ball influences that. But, you know, and like you said, you want to bring these sort of Western stories or these stories that kind of appeal to you and and the studio kind of into this medium. How does that kind of how does that received in Japan? Because I think over here, like I've like again, I've seen interviews and and read interviews and stuff, and like folks over here are like, yeah, I love it, you know. But like, how is it viewed in Japan? Um, it's interesting because I think right now, so when we work on Japanese content, we're just doing the Japanese content the way that the Japanese do it, right? And so I kind of feel like Japan doesn't, which is this will kind of sound weird because I, I don't even know how to say it. Like it's like I think Japan as a outside of the anime community are not aware of our presence yet like mm. it's like the anime community is like totally aware of it. like like the production community are like they know all about us like we're working on all the different productions but but that's because but that's not i think that's because we haven't directly actually our focus for our company actually hasn't been targeting japan but even though we're here like i think because our yeah being who like I am, you know, like I think the stories and things that we've been trying to tell and the, the, the clients that we've been choosing are more, you know, like independent artists, like uh, uh, minorities and women. And, and like, so, like, so I think like those are the stories that we're looking for, like Western and also Western stories where we specifically, so our goal is actually is to tell Western stories within the anime genre, like not, not to tell like Japanese comics, you know, because there's already tons of studios doing that here. So we've very specifically been kind of carving our path in a very different direction. And so I think that like as now, as we're starting to do much larger work and much larger work that, you know, yeah, Japan, of course, will, will start to see our work. And I, and I hope that at that moment, then we can probably have this conversation again, because my goal is that the work that we do, when we can really say, okay, we've done this, you know, this series or we've done this feature film, this is our look and this is a story that we've told, which is totally different than the stories that you guys have told up until now. Mm-hmm. What do you, what, what do you think Japan, you know, like what, what, what are you guys impression and things like that? And then, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that, but I think like, as we're like right now, as we're still growing or we're still, what do you got? Like, you know, polishing our edges and things like that, you know, yeah. like trying to figure out like, okay, well, who are we? What are we? Like, you know, so because the one thing that I don't want for Japanese audiences to say when they see our stuff is I, I want them to say what they're saying now. Oh, cool. Their their stuff looks like anime. But all, but at the same time, I don't want them to be like, oh, this just, but at the same time, I don't want them to say, oh, this just looks like that. You know, oh, this is just another anime from another series. Like, it should, mm-hmm. I, I really do hope that they're like, oh, there's this new look yeah. that totally follows our our, our practices but it's this it's something to, so different and i'm looking forward to that you know just to see what what their impression will be you know. I, I get you i mean like you know different production houses have different like styles like i think when mm-hmm. people look at and again i'm for folks that are listening i watch a lot of anime so if like i see a bones studio anime like yeah, i know yeah. like what that's going to be that's like a full metal alchemist it's like a like a my hero uh, my hero academia or something like that similar to like production ig do you know attack on titan all the ghost in the shell series stuff you know like you characters yeah colors yeah yeah. and it's it's similar here in the states too like people look at disney and they know like what's a disney film but that might be different from 
a Pixar, which is different from a DreamWorks, which yeah. I don't know. Now I'm dating myself. If you think about the eighties yeah. is different from like all those Don Bluth movies that were yeah, like definitely. super yeah. sad and depressing, you know, like there's yeah, a different sure. kind of like, like yeah. style that just goes and along really with like the, with the house. <laughs> yeah. Like secret yeah. and Nim and land before time and all that. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds so great. And it, yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right. And I think like, and I think that's what we're trying to find. Like, what is our studio sound like? Yeah, Ghibli, like IG, uh, A1, K, Kyoto Animation. Like, they all look different. They all have their their look, and they, they figured it out. And of course, they didn't figure it out in one day. Like, you know, they've been like Toei Animation, like, you know, been here 50 some years and things like So it's like, or 50 years? Or six years? Oh, yeah, I think so. And so, you know, they've come up with, like, this is our look, and this is the thing. And I think that's what we're looking for. Like, that's where we're, that's not what we're looking for, but that's what, we're moving yeah forward. and um and in, in the same with just the type of stories that we tell and the type of um, you know the type the way that our characters look that that's something that we're constantly just constantly working on like you we you know i read people's opinions and things although yeah, i ignore the toxic fans so mm-hmm. if you're i'm just gonna put this out there to, our, to the people who are listening if your comment is toxic we just delete it <laughs> so, yeah. so please keep your, please keep your, uh, your criticism constructive like we're not i'm not anti-criticism but but i do really read everybody's comments and things and and so i look but i look for the constructive points in them and and so i think what we're trying to figure out now and i think there was this interview where we're talking about this like like how how do we draw like you know yeah minorities and not only black characters but like if we're drawing lions or if we're drawing mm. like it's like what what are like that's actually very difficult it's like to find that language to simplify these characters but in a way that when black people see them they're like wow that that represents us totally or when you know if white people see our white characters like oh cool that represents like white characters totally and and in a way just all the way around you know like the same with transgender characters which we really paid we really spent a lot of time on, on the character that we recently did for a commercial. It was a transgender character. And we were trying our best to make sure that what we drew on the screen represented like the, a transgender character. So that when people viewed it, they didn't see it as one, one or the other sexes. Right. It was like, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that, I don't want that to be too controversial, but like just really trying to make sure that this character embodies the characteristics of this, of this right. thing. It's, I see what you're saying because like, you know, and, and anime has had these criticisms before about how they depict sort of non-Japanese people. It tends to be in these yeah. very like broad stroke, sometimes offensive ways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and like, and it's weird because I think that I almost feel like the West just avoids it totally. And then Japan does it. They just go too far with the stereotypes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy, you know, Which, but you know, whatever, like, I actually forgive Japan more because there there aren't black people here, right? Whereas yeah. like in the West, like, there's no excuse in the West for you not to have like the kind of right? Shots fired. Right, like and have we're getting calls from different studios. What are you saying? No, but but you know, and then so I think those are the things that we're searching for. Like you know, we're trying to work it out. We're we're working through them and. But those are the goals of like our look and you know what we're trying to do, and even where we portray the, the the environments and things that the characters are in, we're looking for those same things, those same clues and signs that say, "Oh, this is really America," or "This is really you know whatever, like a borough or a city or and you know in Patterson or something like that, or New Jersey." So, yeah, those are the things that we're looking for, and hopefully, like when we do it right. Or when we, in each time we do it, that yeah, Japan will have. Uh, I'm looking forward to what Japan's perspective on it will be. Yeah. yeah. 
This is actually a good segue since you mentioned Patterson. Um, I wanted to kind of switch gears and bring it back over here to the States. Uh, you're from Patterson, New Jersey, correct? Yeah, yeah. Patterson represents Jersey always. <laughs> Was animation uh, a big part of like your world growing up? Uh, actually, no, which is really weird. And so, and, and it's interesting because I, I always, I feel like I always have to kind of like add like a, a what, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, a preface to what I'm about to say so that people don't say like, because like yeah, some people took it where I was like, oh, I'm like totally like negative about my father, but I was, we were raised like by our dad. And so, but my dad was a musician and he, you know, like a lot of musicians and well, like, you know, you have everyone, all parents, right? You have, you have different dreams for your children, right? And so yeah. when it was weird, when we were younger, we were like straight up into art. That was all my brother and I did. But then we moved with my dad. My dad wanted us to play music. And so for actually kind of a big part of my life, actually art was kind of non-existent. But we, but when I got to high school, so, well, let me see, what is it? It's like from... Elementary school, we were drawing like all the time. I was drawing since I was like two years old and just drawing, drawing, drawing. And then we went with our dad. So I guess I was around like the junior high school age, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. and then, um, and I don't know, 10, 11, and or nine. We moved with our dad when we were nine. So from, from nine, so I guess we're still at elementary age. So from, but from that age on, we actually kind of stopped drawing. And I still love drawing. I wanted to draw, but we were supposed to like, you know, focus on playing music and, my dad was like an entrepreneur, which is why I think I've been able to kind of become an entrepreneur out here and start a business. I learned all of that from my dad. So I'm super thankful for that. But, but at the same time, I always kind of wish I could, could draw on a little bit more when I was living with him. But like, um, so up until high school, I didn't draw, actually. Like all through high school, I, I didn't draw. But when I was, but, it, but like, it was weird because I was super creative and always wanted to. Like, I would find other ways to be creative. And when I was in high school, we watched, I think that was when Anime Unleashed came out. It was like the la- my last year of high school. It was like, I guess it was 97 or something like that. And that was when they were introducing anime. Mm-hmm. Anime Unleashed, like to, to like the Western audience. And we, I saw it and then that really kind of lit like a fire, like I me mean, again, or like lit the spark again, where I was like, oh shoot, like that's right. Like I, I like animation, you know? And like, particularly when I saw Ghost in the Show. And I think that was in mm. 97. I graduated in 97. And, you know, so... When and yeah, so in '97 is when you have to kind of choose what college you're going to go to, and you have to kind of everything. And at that time, like you know, of course, my dad wanted us to focus more on music and helping him with his his business, which was construction and stuff. My dad did like so many things; it's crazy. He's like amazing guy, and he can do anything. <laughs> and then like, and so it was weird because we were being drawn in that direction. But then from my mom and my grandparents, they were like, "Oh, you guys, you know, you should do what you want to do," kind of thing. And then with I had, to, but I watched Ghost in the Shell. And I think it was like that helped me to kind of just like silence out what everybody was saying, you know, and like I was just like, oh, shoot, like I like, this is interesting, you know, and I really want to pursue this. And I think that was when my brother and I like kind of sat down and we really like made a plan for like our future. So my brother and I we were in our last year of high school. We were trying to decide, like, we, we decided that we needed to take control of our life. It, like, we were high school kids and we we're like, that's it, we're going to take control of our life. We're going to decide. For ourselves, what our future will entail, and so we were trying to decide what we wanted to do. We always knew we wanted to start a company, and we were like, "Well, how can we start a company? Like, what skills are required to start a company?" And so we, at that time, like, we just kind of sat down and we were like, "Okay, I, I got it. 
like you have to learn. So my brother went to the art institute of Pittsburgh and we were like, okay. And the reason he chose that school, because we had all the art schools, like just like this big old deck stack of books. Of course, mm-hmm. we had like no money. We didn't even know how we we're going to pay for these, but that didn't matter. So <laughs> we were just like, we're just like, let's just choose our school, right? And so we were just sitting down. If we can go to any school we want to, which schools? And we chose all the, the schools that we felt were the best in our specific craft. And I was like, okay. So I told my brother, like, we de- we need you to get really good at creature design and props and stuff because we also kind of thought we wanted to do live action stuff. And so I was like, well, then you need to get really good at like modeling and sculpting and things because those are skills that we need to have. And then we're like, okay, cool. Then me, I'm going to focus more on animation stuff. So I'll learn everything else. And so let's do that. And so when we decided that, like my, like that was kind of like what sent us on our path, I guess, right? And the, and the two different paths, which my brother, now he's the, you know, the, the lead concept, one of the lead concept artists at Legacy FX, sent him here. And then of course I'm here. And, but yeah, that was kind of when we kind of reintroduced animate everything back into our lives because then when we decided that we were going to definitely take that art was our future and that this it like once we graduate college or once we graduate from high school that art is our future at that point was when we started to really i think that was when art became like major for us and and specifically yeah because at high school anime actually still wasn't that big to me so i always kind of Mm -hmm. say this it's kind of weird because i work in the animation industry or in the anime industry but when I was in high school, I wasn't actually that into anime. Like I wasn't, it, it took me a while before I became, I guess. And, and what, what years are we talking about? I'm kind of trying to put it in context. So I graduated in 97. So 93 okay. to 97. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Yeah. It wasn't really big back then. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't not in, not in the US. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody was watching like, you know, Disney, Warner Brothers, you know, things like that, like mm-hmm. the Looney Tunes and stuff. And so I think even for us, well, my brother being practical, artist he 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 was straight like you know he he loves stan winston and and he was all about that and and then like you know like my brother's goals and dreams came true too like the studios he worked for was rick baker stan winston studios and everything you know so like we i think yeah at that time i was like oh i'm just gonna be an animator and i'll work for disney like everybody else right like or something like that you know and but then when i got to college i still had my one DVD that I really liked because I liked Ghost in the Shell when I was in high school. So that was like the only DVD I kind of owned. And so I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to, um, or I guess it wasn't a DVD. It was a videotape, which I still have my videotape. Actually, this is a video I can show you. I have my VHS, <laughs> have my VHS uh, Ghost in the Shell tape like sitting on my shelf there. But so that was the only videotape I had. And I think and maybe a CD at that time, it was 97. When I got to high school, I really liked Ghost in the Shell. And I watched that, like, yeah, I watched that every day. That was, like, my inspiration, you know? Like, I was just kind of, like, while wow, still just doing all the rest of the art. But but, but I, it was weird because I still wasn't into anime just yet. And so I think I just wanted to be as good as the artist in Ghost in the Shell. But yeah. I was like, but I'm still going to go work for Disney, you know? And I'm still going to go work in, in the West, kind of. Was your family, like, supportive of all this? Because you mentioned, you know, your dad wanted you to focus more on music, but your mom and your grandma and your grandparents really were like kind of wanting you, I guess, to go more towards the artistic side. Yeah, I think, well, well, I don't know if my grandparents and my mom want us to be artists. They were just more like, you can be anything you want to be. Okay. Because up until that point, I was living with my dad. So I'm not sure if they knew what, what, what our goals were. But like, you know, when we hang out and draw and stuff or do anything, like, you know, they were super supportive of just what we wanted to do. And then 
Although my mom always told us, like, oh, man, you've been drawing since you were, like, two years old. And I remember that. She showed me some pictures from when we were kids. And when we lived with my mom, like, she was totally about, like, pushing us into different art competitions and things like that. So she, she really did, like, cultivate my art side when we were younger. But then when we lived with our dad, yeah, we were um, cultivated our uh, every other part of us, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What brought you to the decision to move to Japan? When I, while in college... The animation industry in the West was having like huge shifts. A lot of things were changing, and um, I think Disney Studios closed and and everything. And and I was like totally against it, man. Like I was kind of like against three D animation. I was just like, why is the industry changing three D? But that sort of made me want to move to Japan. That just kind of, I think that helped to open up this hole in my mind, or you know, where I was open to looking for something else because I like I love the art, and so I went to like you know, like I think that was what I really really liked. I like drawing, you know, and so. Or painting and when i watched ghost in the shell like a, for the umpteenth time the hundredth time uh, you know i had this one class where i had to kind of focus and they were trying to refocus me you know like my teacher helped me to realize that the like that the thing that i was liking a lot and in, in watching ghost in the shell was the backgrounds and she was like oh okay i think you figured out what you want to do you know this is probably my third year of college so the academy of arts is, takes a very long time to graduate from because of at that time, our classes were really long, like seven hours long. So I was at the school for wow. like six years. So I think around my fourth year is when I had that class, fourth or fifth year, I can't remember actually. But during that time, I realized that, yeah, I really like the backgrounds of Ghost and Shell. And so at that point, like I think my home just like what I was doing shifted. And I was like, okay, I'm going to watch everything by, you know, by Hiro Masaokura-san. He's the art director of Ghost in the Shell. And so I watched like Last Exile, I watched Jin Ro, I watched like Ninja Scroll. I was just like, I, I totally got into his work, you know, and, and the way his art looked and everything. And like so much so that, yeah, like I was like, oh, that's it, I'm gonna move. Like I, I wanna work in Japan, I wanna be a background artist. And actually I called, I think I wrote a letter, I didn't call it, I wrote a letter to Production IG just asking what was necessary if I wanted to get into the, be a background artist like what did I and they, they actually responded which I was really surprised because I, I didn't know Japanese at the time right? so I wrote a letter in English but the letter came back in English the response came back in English oh and, it, and it, yeah, yeah and, it, and it listed out the things that I need to learn or know so I don't know if there was a foreigner working there because the name was weird I think he called himself like ninja or something and I don't think that <laughs> so I'm sure there was like a foreigner who worked there and they he responded you know and then like but that really helped, like, motivated me even more. I was like, "Oh wow, this is so crazy!" They they responded to me and it listed out. I needed to know architecture. I needed to know perspective. I needed to know car design. I need, like, I essentially like went to my art director and showed her the list. Or not the art director, the, the department, the art department director at the academy. This is things I need to learn because I'm going to move to Japan, you know. And like, and I tried, and then I reached out to to Japan, and I tried to make with. I tried to make friends with like the, the Japanese community that was in 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 America at the time. And I think just being like getting all those like kind of positive reinforcement from the friends that I made and from the response from IG and just watching Ogata's work, you know, I never, I hadn't obviously spoken to him yet. Like it was just, I was only looking at his work and collecting his art books and, you know, doing that, that type of thing of just everything Ogata's on that was like, so my mind was just like changing to just, that was my only goal, you know? And I think that's what really pushed me to want to come to Japan was just, I wanted to work for um, Ogura-san. Wow. And this was like at a time when I'm kind of trying to chart the years here. So this would have been like early 2000s before yeah. you really had like robust online communities via social media to like 
learn about people and learn about the culture. Like you kind of went there, not sight unseen because people have been moving to other countries for, you know, centuries, but I mean, to do it at a time when like you're fresh out of school and that was really like a big leap of faith. Yeah, you know, that's interesting you said that because it is very true. At that time, like, we didn't have the YouTubers and there was no blogs or anything, right? Like, obvious thing. And so I had to try to, but there were the local communities, right? Like, just, well, yeah, I went to an international college. I guess I was kind of lucky because I could make friends, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, like, yeah, when I moved out here, and I did, like, it was, like, actually... The day after I, like, literally the day after I graduated, I jumped on an airplane and just moved out here. And so, like, Whoa. Did, like, yeah, it was, like, crazy. My brother and I, we, we decided, like, all right, like, I'm about to graduate this. My brother had already graduated from his school because his school finished earlier because it was a normal college, right? The academy took forever to graduate from. But, like, so he finished in four years, and I, and I was at the academy for six. So he was living with, with me at the time. So we were living together in L.A., or LA in San Francisco. We had our plan. We still had our plan for when we were in high school. So I was like, okay, cool. So now that I'm about to graduate, you've already graduated. You've been just up here working, helping helping me to pay rent and stuff. And so now you got to go to LA. You're going to go work for Stan Winston. You know, you're going to get your job there. And I'm going to move to Japan. I'm going to work for Ogurasan. Like it was like, and we just threw <laughs> we threw everything away. Like we literally just threw everything away that was in our house because we couldn't take it with us except my books. I, I I shipped those to Japan. As soon as I graduated, my brother moved to LA, and I moved to to Japan. Like the, the very next day, but it was like you said, like out here at that time, there weren't a lot of foreigners, and and to, I, I moved to Osaka specifically because I wanted to stay away from foreigners. So there was even less foreigners in Osaka. Okay, and yeah, like and it was just trying to figure everything out, like learn the language, learn the culture. You know, I had I had a few friends though, but yeah, it really was like just interesting. And like I said, yeah, when I went to the college out here, that's I was the first foreigner that they even that was even difficult for them. So they said no the first year when I tried to go to the school just because they hadn't put a system in place for foreigners to even be, they didn't even give student visas for foreigners. And so they're just like, no, I'm sorry. Like they were super hyped that I came out to Japan and I joined their open house. They were like crazy. They were like, wow, that's so insane, but sorry, we can't help you kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, but that, but you know, I figured it out and I was able to go to that school and I was the only foreigner in the class. And then the, the same when I got the job at Ogura's son. At Ogura Kobo, I was like the only foreigner at his shop. Now, you've been in Japan now for like over 15 years, I think, right? Yeah, over 15. Do you think that you would have been able to build a studio like Day Art here in the States? That's an interesting question because I look at all of the different studios that are there now. And like, you know, obviously there are like, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say there are no Black-owned studios just because I, I don't know. Maybe there are, right? Like, I just not aware of them yet i'm sure there are some now right but at the time like you know even when i got here i don't know i think it's just been difficult not i, don't, I never want to try to say it's been my race that would help me back i think it was just just because of many things right like the industry like the way the industry works you know of course there aren't even a lot of blacks in the in the animation industry in, in general mm-hmm. and you're not not because we don't want to be right. So like it's just, it's just there's just a lot of there are just a lot of hurdles and things and and so I feel like that the system that was in place at that time stopped you know would would have probably stopped this from becoming a possibility where it was like the same thing that stops like minorities and things and even women in a sense although now I think they're a little bit more but like from getting into just entertainment industry in general like it's it's if it wasn't a problem people wouldn't be so void. Like it wouldn't be a thing to have diversity, right? Like that term wouldn't exist if it was normal. And so I feel that 
that those same things, those roadblocks, would have most likely stopped me too. But well, who knows, though, right? Like, but again, you know, we can always can't really tell. But it's weird though because came out here, and and then we were able to figure it out. But I don't know because you know there are a lot of foreigners who come out to Japan and say that yeah, it's just as hard, right? So to, as hard as it is for minorities to do things in in the states or at least within our industry, it's just as hard for foreigners who would then be the minorities here to also do things in this industry. Mm. And so it's weird, but I feel that. Once I got out here and I did put in the work, that it was appreciated in a different way. Maybe I think in Japan, that's something that Japan is known for. They'll always give you, a, like I think the opportunities just present themselves here more. Where it's like, oh, you want to do that? Okay, cool. Here you go. Now, mm-hmm. like you know, then if you drop the ball, like maybe trying to get a kid, it will be difficult. But it's like, but they definitely will give you the opportunity. I feel you know, like I, I and that's something that I feel is shared by a lot of foreigners. Like that same sentiment is shared by a lot of foreigners. They're like Japanese people will totally give you the opportunity, like if you can speak Japanese and things like that, and they see that you want to do it. They're like they're mm-hmm. all for it. Like I feel like in the West, the opportunity is hard to get. I don't want to say it's all because of race, because I feel that a lot of it, like sometimes you you see online that people say, "Oh well, if you don't have the experience or you don't have the portfolio to do it, that's why you didn't get the job." And of course, that plays a part. But it's like, well, yeah, but if the opportunities and the work and the schools and stuff were opened up a little bit more, yeah. I probably would have had the skills and things, right? Yeah. So, so there, there's always like you know another way to look at things, right? And it's like because there there are reasons for things, and so. Yeah, it's a really long way to answer <laughs> because I feel like it's such a nuance that the question has so many nuances and it in it in itself can be like an hour conversation. And I don't want to just say, oh, yeah, because I'm black, I couldn't do it. Because I, I feel that that doesn't serve the, the type of conversation that should be had yeah. around this topic. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, on race in anime, like how it's it's portrayed? I know you mentioned that Japanese anime tends to kind of go there in terms of portrayals. But even, you know, here in the States, we tend to look at that in a, a very different way, especially about how how Black people are portrayed. I think it wasn't until maybe either Cowboy Bebop, no, it had to be Cowboy Bebop because it was in the 90s. Cowboy Bebop was probably the first time that I not only heard a Black voice actor, the, the voice actor for Jet, but yeah. also the first time that I like saw like a black anime character that wasn't offensive in terms of like being modeled almost after like black, uh, I don't want to call it Americana, but that feels like the best way to put it. Like, like, like Mr. Popo from Dragon Ball, like yeah, it yeah. isn't depicted mm-hmm. in almost like the Sambo ish kind of fashion. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that's kind of interesting because, uh, I think like, cause I actually, I actually don't even consider jet, black but, but but i know he's voiced by a black oh no no yeah I, he's not black in uh, the, he's not black in the um in the anime when i heard his voice i was like oh he black oh, oh i see <laughs> yeah 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 his, his voice yeah yeah okay yeah like i yeah so black characters in anime yeah that's interesting because i i feel that like it's easy for people to point the finger to japan but i almost feel like it's not like well not so like, of course we have to take responsibilities for the actions but like we have to kind of also think that Japan's only access to Western 
things like because like you know like the past and stuff isn't how it is now where we're the internet and black people's pictures are on the internet and you can google anything and find anything like anyone right or and, right or a representation of anyone at that time it wasn't which would mean that they represent that the things that they that they had to draw from was from the media and so you know in the 60s and the 70s and 80s we, we know how the West presented black people, right? Mm. And so if that if that's the only way that the West is is representing black people, everyone in every other country who don't even have black people in their country, they, they can only look at TV, you know, and look at the look at black exploitation flicks and look at the oh well he said you jive sucker, you know? And right. like, so like yeah, I'm gonna put him he says you jive sucker in my animation. And yeah. so I feel that 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 in Japan which is why I always kind of say that I, I guess, which is the reason why I always kind of fall back on, like, I don't think that Japanese people do things out of spite or even mm. like, it really is kind of ignorance, which, which kind of sucks. Like, cause that's, that's in itself is an issue, especially in 2020. Right. So now of 2020, if you're still doing things, not knowing something, you don't really have an excuse. So I think now the things that they do wrong. So if we see like a blackface commercial or we see that, that, that deserves a proper uh, rebuttal and, you know, and, and conversation, but, yeah. but, for animation that came out in the sixties or seventies, I feel like, well, that needs to just be excused because yeah. what could they have done? Now, so of course the representation of characters of blacks and minorities and lines or anything, right, and at that time, well there were there was no shortage of women in Japanese animation, right? There's lots of female strong female characters and things mm-hmm. like that. But at least with minorities though, and, and maybe black female characters, there's obviously a shortage. And I feel that so the only thing we can do with that is that, which is kind of like, I guess, why they say representation is important, which is weird because how we're presented in the media, even in the West now, will be how the, how the world see, views us. And then yeah. if there are more of us in the industry, we can kind of, you know, we can draw ourselves and we can decide what, what our image should look like. So I think that hopefully Japan is just kind of starts to just be more open to telling stories of like, you know, minorities and things like that. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. cause that, that I do think is interesting that like, yeah, most of the, the bulk of Japanese animation and it really isn't telling like like black stories or anything like that. But then, so then some audience members might say, well, yeah, but why do they have to tell black stories? Right. And that's true. That's very true. But then, but then you have to ask yourself, well, yeah, but then why do they tell European stories? Right. Like why mm-hmm. do they, because there's, there's no shortage of like knights and you know, like you can think of any service. Ain't that the truth? Like, like ask up learning. So it's like, if you're going to ask that question, ask the other question. Right. And so yeah. I don't like, people whose arguments are hypocritical of what they're even saying, right? So it's like, yeah. you need to ask both, right? And so you can't you can't have a double standard. And so there's a ton of European influences and references and everything all throughout Japanese animation. And so I think that, so that I think is kind of a question, right? Like, well, why is that the case, right? Like, why, why aren't there more interesting stories told about like, you know, just myths from all other cultures and things, you know, there's, you know, there's there's lots of Asian stories and there's like you know European stories and right. you know, there there's even some cool Latin characters, right? You got French characters and stuff like that. Like look at look at Lupin, you know. So mm-hmm. like, but black characters, you know, if if people say, well, you know, there there is no excuse for that, right? Like, yeah. For but like yeah, so I that and that's kind of how I feel about that. I feel that there should be more, you know, more characters. Like the, the whole animation doesn't need to be about black people, but I feel that, you know, just have a few, so sprinkle a little bit of color, you know? Yeah. There are dark skinned anime characters that may not necessarily, I guess, be, um, I yeah, guess, coded as black. Yeah, yeah. But no, like Yoroichi from Bleach, for example. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. You know, Bleach. 
yeah, there's Bleach and then there's um and uh, Naruto. And, yeah, A and and like the whole that whole clan, Killer B, etc. Yeah, Killer B and his clan. Which, oh, <laughs> Although, well, yeah, okay, that's maybe not a good example because <laughs> he raps and, and stuff, yeah, and yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but one thing that I also will just kind of say with this is that I don't think that it's our position to tell Japanese studios what stories to tell which is the reason why we have a studio here now. So so those stories are missing, so we want to tell those stories, you know? Like, I think that people should tell whatever story they want to tell. And then, so I would say the only thing that hopefully is that, that the industry opens their doors for other stories. And so which which the industry is, like Japan is in, like, kicking they are out, right? They're not saying, hey, we hate you guys, you're not an anime studio. Actually, we get more of that from the West, right? Like, we get some people like, what are you guys doing? Like, which I think is just craziness. So I feel like that openness to even have a Black-owned studio here and that openness to even have us working on their content is Japan saying, hey, like, cool, representation, diversity, we believe in it. Yeah. Like, have at it, you know? Whereas, like, so I think that's different. Mm. what do you like the most about living there i like a lot about japan you know like of course i I don't know if i had to choose the most so like that's a difficult question superlatives man superlatives are hard like (laughs) let's see if i had to choose one thing i think i like especially i don't know because i always i try my best to just not be like confrontational or like have like you know these crazily politically charged like answers but like i like i like the safety of japan in every aspect of that you know and so not only like yeah like yeah of course there's the whole thing happening now right where like and so i guess it should be said right like i don't have to worry about like being shot by japanese police right Mm -hmm. but not only that because that that's not where it ends like you know that i I feel like that could be like an escape go answer where it's like well see like look at that but but also everything else is much lower in japan too gun violence in general like doesn't exist here except between the yakuza's occasionally right but like like i can leave my wallet on the table in a starbucks and go to the bathroom with no one else at the table and come back and my wallet is still there like i can use my wallet as a placeholder so i think in general japan just all across the board is just safer you know and like people and safe and and people are respectful of your space and of your like belongings and, and just everything so I think if I had to choose one thing, like I think that is the thing I like the most, like that that Japan just it's just safer and and you know and even with like your your business being there and your livelihood there, and you know you've been been there for so long, would you ever consider moving back to the states? I still very much love America, and you know which is why I think I'm like our even my business model and everything is still targeted towards America and like I want to tell stories for Americans and I want to like you know I want to tell like like I have some ideas that we're trying that we might be pitching that you know stories that take place in Patterson New Jersey you know like that that's one mm. of my dreams is to tell a story that takes place in like you know I want, I want my hometown to kind of have a a different light as opposed to all the negative news that comes out of Patterson you know and like and so I I still very much love America and I think that so my answer wouldn't be like, oh, I don't want to move to America because I love Japan, because that's actually not my answer. Moving to America would be difficult because my company is here. Like, right. you know, so it's more of a practical thing. Like, so, so, but I do often like kind of hope that like we get to a point where I can have like a house in both places and, and even a business, like, you know, a subsidiary of they are there in America. So if there's any people listening and you want to help expand, they are, and goal is to definitely have a, they are, you know, 
campus in, in America as well. And like, you know, because I, yeah, like, I, I don't know, like, I, it's not like I escaped to Japan, you know, I, mm. I just came here because I specifically just wanted to work in this, in, in this industry and I wanted to learn. And, you know, like my, I remember my boss, Ogura-san, or my boss, like Ogura-san said, so my boss used to always joke about that. He used, or Ogura-san used to always joke about that. He would always say, uh, oh, you, you came here just to steal our trade secrets, essentially, like steal our secrets and go back to America, didn't you? You know, but mm. like you know, of course, he just said it in a in a playful way, right? And like, yeah, he, like he's totally open to teaching me everything he he knows, you know. But like, it was interesting because I think when I initially first moved out here, my goal was to just come out here, learn, and then move back to America, you know. But then you know, things just turned the way that they are. You know? Yeah. Do you feel free? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's free. You know? I watched a bunch of documentaries on YouTube like throughout the years about black people in Japan. And that seems to be a shared feeling among them is like freedom. Yeah. You know, and it's such an interesting thing because it's, it's a weird question. Probably people in the West are like, what do you mean? Do you feel, do you feel free? Like I'm free, right? Like I got, I got all my liberties. Right. But like, it's, it's interesting. I mean, really that, I mean, these days I don't, I don't know yeah, if we really yeah, all have them over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then of course with minorities and stuff, like we have to think about it. Right. It's like, shoot. Well, although like, I, and I always feel like this is so weird because it's like, why is it like, so people point back to like, yeah, but you got, the Civil Rights Act was passed like over what, now 50 years ago. But it's like, what are you talking about? Like, it's like, okay, so you're saying you should be happy because you got your humanity yeah. 50 years ago. Like that, and then, so I feel like when people say that, like they don't even know what they're saying. Like they're not even listening to how ignorant <laughs> that that sounds. You were giving your humanity. You were giving the right to do stuff the same way that I am. Yeah. 50 years ago why are you complaining like that is the craziest statement that anyone can ever say because <laughs> it's like why is one another human given this human the freedom to drink water or something right or the freedom to vote or the free you know and so like and so i feel that because of course that that is still always in us you know and like in like you know my grandparents and my mother and something like how they like the like like you know like her parents like my mom's 50 like Grandmother's still here, right? And so it's like my mom's like fifty, she's fifty six, young parents. But like, but that means essentially they were giving the right to do things in their lifetime. And so, and then that all of that is still affects them. And then that, that then that obviously means that then when we're brought up, it affects us because they're teaching us from their lens, you know, and their experiences and everything else. And so when and then just walking through the streets and stuff. So you know, I I don't like to get into, it, but like we've had. Uh, was there stop and frisk and stuff. And, you know, and I've had that happen to me, you know, and so, yeah, and pretty much as far as it can go before getting killed, right? Like I've had a police officer put me in handcuffs, thrown to the ground while I'm in handcuffs and I wasn't resisting or anything, but he still decided to put the gun to the back of my head and put the nuzzle on my head. That That's like a feeling I'll never, ever forget. And so it's crazy because I feel that like here, like, like none of those things, like the things that people complain about here, you know, we often, like Westerners can often joke like uh, first world problems, right? And so I don't even know what you would consider the problems that like foreigners and blacks complain about in Japan. Because so if, that, if you have first world problems of being black in America, like I guess we have like, I don't know, like off world problems in Japan. It's just like, <laughs> it's like that the problems are so minuscule, you know, in comparison to the, to the issues that we have to deal with in America, you know? And so... I'm still friends with like all of my friends from Patterson and everything. Like I look at the Facebook and the feeds and stuff that everyone's uploading and the issues that's happening. And I'm just like, man, like none of that is here. You know, like, yeah, I don't think 
the smallest thing that I have to deal with is, yeah, I mean, of course there's going to be some sort of, you know, prejudice or something like, which is not Japan as a whole, but you know, you're always yeah, going to get It's not a utopia, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no country is perfect. And, and like I said, if my parents are 50 years old or since, like, you know, my grandparents and they experience Jim Crow, they're still going to have a certain way of thinking about things. Mm-hmm. My like Japanese people who experienced World War II or whatever, you know, like they're going to still have their issues too. Right. And it, right, it's right. not something you could just get rid of. And so I totally get it, you know, as opposed to me saying, Hey, what's wrong with you old lady? You know, like that's not going to come through my mind. Right. Like, hey, war was over. The war was over like seventy years ago. What's wrong with you? Like, 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 mm-hmm. it's like, what are you talking about? Her experience of having to starve and you know try to rebuild her life, and they have foreigners who took her life away from her. And so then, when foreigners are here, they're going to be a little bit like reticent about dealing right. with us. Right. And so, but that's still a small issue because that seems so gr- much grand. That's such a grander thing. Yeah, foreigners took your whole city. And way of life and country, essentially, you know, like with, yeah. with, with one war. And so I get it where it's like, we're like, shoot, like it wasn't even foreigners who affected our life. It was like, you know, it was like, it was our neighbors. <laughs> so right, like, right. Like, that's crazy, you know, so like not having to deal with that. But, you know, but that's speaking, that's still kind of like such a, a big thing because, of course, in my life, well, yeah, besides the, yeah, the police profiling and then like, you know, the, the racial like being called certain words and having to deal with certain issues from just whatever, just ignorant people that, that still is not comparable, right. To what our parents and grandparents had to deal with, you know, but it's just more of like, just the things that we have to kind of go through in our cities and, you know, seeing the schooling and have just working much harder because of course, growing up in Patterson and inner city, like I remember my school had, it was a really good school at one time, like when I was in elementary school, I guess it was school six, I think it was, I was in elementary school and it was a great school. I love school. And, and then we had like shop class. Actually, it might've been school five actually, but we had shop class, we had home ec, we had art, we had like world history plus social studies. We had every subject. But then I remember my, my mom and dad, cause at that time I was still young, but I remember my mom and dad having a conversation about like, Oh man, what's wrong? Like this is so crazy. Why are the classes changing next year? And I was, and, and I think I was too young to understand it. And then they were said something about paradigm, and I was like, "What like paradigm?" Like now I'm much older, and I know what the paradigm program is. But I experienced that shift of going through a paradigm program, which is ridiculous. Like that essentially takes away all of the extracurricular classes plus the subjects that they that they felt you don't need to learn. Like okay, so we don't need home economics, we don't need shop, we don't. But then people say, "Hey, why is it that in the inner city?" you guys are don't know how to or why is your whatever like your homing your home your etiquette and stuff so bad or yeah because they took it out you know like they didn't even teach it where those things still exist in the other schools because I, right. I, I i still remember to this day when i was in high school i belonged to the academic decathlon which was like this program for you know whatever like alpha kids and stuff and you compete in the competition and so we, we went to another school to compete and i went to uh, i think it was in ridgewood or something and to another high school. And then we go to this, but I was so blown away by how that school had, I mean, they had like a McDonald's or it might have been a McDonald's or it was a KFC, but in, in their school. Mm-hmm. And like they had like computers and everything. And this was in like 97. I was like, this is crazy. Like, <laughs> like our school, and I was going to a fairly good school. I went to Rosa Parks and, you know, we, we had, it was an okay school. And, and I was just like, but, but their school was just, I don't even know, like, 200 times better like just everything yeah and so like those things you know experiencing those things like when i when i'm here 
and I get to see the schooling system here. I get to see that, like, so I have a son now. Mm-hmm. He's he's ten months old, and he congratulations. Ah, uh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and like, preschool is free for him because the government is all about child care and everything. So healthcare is free for children. Preschool is free. So he's only ten months old and going to a preschool, a really good one. And ten months and going to preschool. Yeah, yeah, yeah because they have a preschool for kids who are zero, like what once you're born here. And wow. Then, um, yeah, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's so weird. It's like, but I'm pretty sure if you go to like like a rich neighborhood in America, you probably have that too. But who knows, right? But like in Japan, it's like that's kind of well, it's not free, but they have like it's free if, depending on your your economic status. And then, but then even then, it's still cheap, and then they pay for a certain amount of it and stuff. Yeah. But essentially, they help with like all of that stuff, you know, to because it's to help their society. They realize, I guess, that yeah, if you help the kids in society, they're gonna help. You know, they're gonna become productive members of society. You know, and so like yeah, I send my ten month old to preschool, and I can work, and, and the mom can work. You know, and like it's like you know, we're still like, and so I think in no sense that's kind of like why I'm like rambling, like why I feel free because because it's not only that, it's like society here is made. Although people say, oh, Japan's like a robot, blah, blah, blah. I, I get those things. But like at the same time, it still feels like that it's set up in a way where you can still just move through life mm-hmm. freely, you know, like yeah. and, and like without burden and without having to worry. Yeah. Wow. That's a great answer. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, because as, as I, you know, think about it, you know, especially with the comparisons that you set up, it's like, it feels like, you know, all the little things maybe here in the States and maybe they're not little things, maybe they're big things that just like hold you up from progressing as a black person that kind of are stripped away in yeah. some fashion. So that's, that's interesting to hear. So one theme that I've been asking kind of every guest that I've had on the show this year is around like black futures. Like how do you, you know, how do you see yourself in the future, whether it's your work, et cetera. And so I'll ask you the same question. How are you using your skills to help build a more equitable future? So do you mean a more equitable future for myself or for the black community at large? You know what? Interpret that however you'd like. Okay, so I guess I'll kind of answer both because I do feel that it's interesting because the more, like, you know, when you first start a company, Oh, I, don't know. I can't speak for everybody, but at least when I started my company, I think your vision, your goal is very small at that moment. And what I mean by that is that the goal when you first start a company is to make sure your company's lights stay on, right? And like that you can, yeah. so you're very, like you're very, like I think business owners are, we're very telescopic, I don't know if that's right, tunnel, tunnel vision. Tunnel vision, right? like yeah. To, yeah, to, to very like, because those, those are the only things that we're focused on, right? Like we have to make sure that our staff can eat food every day, right? And like, mm-hmm. but then as it gets older and then we start to, that vision starts to open up a little bit more and it opens up a little bit more, opens up a little more. We see more things. We, we become, more things become accessible to us. And then, but at the same time, our responsibilities become greater. And so I think that as a company, my, as a CEO of this company, my goal is to make sure that this corporation, or that this company becomes successful, that it becomes larger, that it serves the purpose that I set out when I first decided to start a company, plus the purposes that I learned about once it opens, or once we've been doing it. And, you know, and like, and that to make sure that this company stays here forever, that like, as other CEOs are in their 100th anniversary, my goal is that 200, 300 years after I'm dead, if the world is still here, that this company is still here. And so that's through diverse, you know, diversifying the things that this company is part of and, and everything, right? So just really expanding it. And, and I think that is more like the individual the goal 
for the company as an entity in itself and, and for myself. But then for the community, I also feel a responsibility. And it's interesting because that responsibility gets greater as as our fan base builds and as like now that we're starting to get a little bit more like kind of, you know, I, I guess we're starting to pop up on the radar more people. And and I'm reading people's comments and fan letters. I, I got like a thank you letter from someone recently and and it's interesting because those things well, it's kind of weird. I'm all getting like emotional right now. It's just kind of, I'm not an emotional person. I try my best not to, but like thinking about the thank you letter I got and stuff. It's so weird because I don't plan on getting thank you letters, right? Like when we start a business, you don't say, oh, I'm going to be a role model. Like that is not like, that, yeah. that's, that's not the goal, right? I, I didn't move to Japan to be a role model or anything. But now that I am one because of what, or at least like, you know, I can't say by myself, but you know, it's like I say, people say I'm one, right? And so I, I so people say that I'm a role model. People say that they, they're proud of me or people say that like, that I'm doing, like, you know, that they, they appreciate what our company represents and stands for and, and, and these things. And, and then I'm like, oh yeah, like that's right. Now what I've created is growing beyond what I created, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, and so I feel, like certain things that I've always kind of wanted to do is, you know, give back to schools. And I was talking with someone earlier today about how she goes to different like local colleges and things and gives talks and things. And I was like, man, I, I, that's interesting because now I'm at the point, I guess that I should, that I, that I could be doing that too. And I want to do that. And I want to like, you know, inspire, you know, and this is something I guess I can just re- reciting what I got from an Instagram post, but like this uh, a black woman wrote to me and she said that her daughter wanted to do anime and then when she first when her daughter and stuff was first drawing she just felt her daughter was drawing but then when she saw my company she thought that what her daughter is doing is not wasting time and now she feels more inspired to help her daughter succeed and i was like that's crazy you know Mm -hmm. and then like so i thought that that's so interesting and like that i i need to create things that could help the community, you know, and, and like, obviously like this is, we're still young. And so the, it, this is going to be far off in the future, but the only way to make these things happen is I have to think about them now, but it's like, I, so yeah, like if I can help art programs in the schools and help, you know, in the, all, in the high schools, because I think the best way to ensure that art exists and everything is just elementary schools and art schools and, and high schools, making sure that those programs can exist and move. And so if that means that like, that my company is in a position where I can start donating money, which is what I hope. I hope that our company gets a position that I can, yeah, you know, donate money. Like I went to a performing arts school. So hopefully having a really big presence in performing arts schools and particularly within our communities. And like, it also just, I don't know, like I, I, I feel that like right now my vision would be small and then, but in five years from now, it would be much grander. The things that I will be able to do for our communities and I want to be, in a position to do them and then to do them, you know. That's a great segue into my my final question, which is where do you see yourself in the next five years? Yeah, so in the next five years, I see this company being much larger, like, you know, having hopefully a, a, a freestanding building of our own and with like a, you know, maybe a feature film and a series done, and something that we can be proud of and that, that our fans are proud of. and um, and. I think that, yeah, and, and that would just be, you know, much, like expanding much more so that we'd just be creating way more content and that, like, people would just know us, you know, like, just everywhere. And, and then, yeah, that, that hopefully at that time that my company is essentially moving on its own, doing what companies are supposed to do, <laughs> like, move on their own, right? And then, like, and that I can then be freed up to kind of really be 
kind of traveling around and kind of, I think, yeah, doing more things like, you know, giving, I guess, taking up more engagements, talking with people, and, as well as like, you know, finding ways to push my business even more, I guess. And yeah, maybe finding other, something else I'm thinking of is like, right now we're doing animation, but I do hope to go, to kind of venture out to other media and, and, and other business ventures for our company. You know, so quite a few things. So just to, you know, kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and your work and everything online? Everything for most of our social media and everything is under our company's name, which is Dear Stagio. So if you just type in Dear Stagio on Google, most of our social media should come up with a few type in. So please go to DearStagio.com, which is just our website. If you're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, type in DearStagio and please follow us. Oh, and YouTube as well, Dear Stagio. We have a vlog where we kind of just talk about, actually people comment and they ask us questions and, we, and you know, they ask for, uh, these questions are varied. Like they're all about the industry and different things. And so we, we, we choose one of those questions and we just talk about it. So please um, go to our Dear Stagio on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and click follow and click like. And on YouTube, click the bell and (laughs) like really please like follow us and stuff because that, you know, from that, it's interesting, like the the world has changed now. Right. And so by your social media presence, like opportunities grow. And so it really is supporting our company just, just by even just like clicking the like, you know, clicking follow. So. All right. Sounds good. Well, Arthel Isom, man, thank you for such a, wide-ranging conversation about you and your work and the studio and everything. I mean, if there's if there's one thing that I think I can pull from just your story and everything that you've shared is that hard work pays off. Like, there's no shortcuts to this. You have to put in the work. And, you know, you certainly exhibited that by just telling your story about moving to Japan right after graduation and working at the production houses and learning the language and really kind of getting your foot in the door. Um, I think that's something that hopefully a lot of creatives that are listening to this can, can really take to heart that you have to put in the work. It's not just something that's going to come to you overnight and that you honestly, like you said, you still have a long way to go. And I feel like with the work that you're doing, with the exposure that you've been getting, like, I'm excited to see where you go in five years. I'm a fan. You got a fan here. So thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Big, big thanks to Arthel Isom. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Arthel and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. And of course, thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Facebook Design. To learn more about how the Facebook design community is designing for human needs at unprecedented scale, please visit facebook.design. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Are you looking for some creative consulting for your next project? Then let's do lunch. Visit us at yepitslunch.com. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by R.J. Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of this episode? Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, or even better, by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. 
I'll even read your review right here on the show. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Oh,